It's Mike Jeffers, Chicago Jazz Magazine, ChicagoJazz.com, and welcome to another episode of Around Town. And today we have a very special episode. We have the Bossman Twins with us, Dwayne and Dwight, and they are coming into Winter's Jazz Club on February 18th, Saturday, of course. Winter'sJazzClub.com, 465 North McClurg Court, right there in Chicago. We know Scott very well. And so we're going to talk all about that gig. And we're going to talk a little bit about their history. They've been coming up from St. Louis. Jesus has to be probably seven, eight years now. I think you guys have been popping up here. So good to see you both actually on Zoom. We talked on a podcast a long time ago, but I'm glad we're connected by virtual uh, abilities here. And we might actually even see each other in person on February 18th. How are you guys? Fine, Mike. We just want to say thanks for having us here. And it's a pleasure to be on your show. So let's clarify. So so I don't hear all the comments. Let's just clarify right now which one's Dwayne and which one's Dwight. So all our viewers know which way to look when I'm talking to you guys. Okay, I'm Dwayne. There you go. There you go. So if you guys can't tell, they're twins and they're brothers and they're killing sax players. So we've got the whole thing happening right now. So let's talk a little bit before we get into your background, because I definitely want to talk a little bit about the background. But let's talk about this winter's gig. When you guys started coming up here, had to be about what, like three, four years before the pandemic, maybe? Because I know right, you guys were right. coming up regularly yes. from St. Saint, Saint Louis. How did you guys connect with Scott at winter's and uh, start coming up to Chicago? Well, Pat, our business manager, she made it possible. She made contact with Scott and uh, several people that were coming to the club were telling me, you got, this is a really wonderful club. You ought to be playing there. And then people start asking Scott, when well, you had a Bosman twins here and, and one thing led to another. And Denise times also, uh, our friend, a very good friend uh, from St. Louis who appears there quite regularly as well. Uh, also recommended us as well. So, and so that's a really good thing. Well, we we love Denise, and I, I know you guys play in St. Louis. Um, what is it, the Jazz Bistro in St. Louis? Is that what it's called down there? Yeah, what? we haven't played there in a couple of years, but uh, that was main spot. Yeah, it, it's now called Jazz St. Louis, jazz. but it's Jazz, but it's formerly the Jazz at the Bistro. Yes. Jazz at the Bistro, that's it. Because you guys have a, a couple of great videos up on your website and, uh, you know, the, kind of featuring the groups and, and people can hear a sound if they haven't ever heard you guys play together before. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about the um, about the St. Louis jazz scene, too. I mean, you guys came up in the St. Louis jazz scene. And I think a lot of people in Chicago just sit there and they think Chicago, they think New York, maybe a little bit of Milwaukee, but you know, five hours South, four and a half hours South of us in St. Louis, there's a thriving jazz scene happening down there. Talk a little bit about the scene down there. Well, there, there are a number of venues here at St. Louis that have jazz. Uh, the dark room is one uh, jazz at the bistro, which we mentioned jazz. St. Louis is a, is another and and out of that, there are a number of other entities in, that house jazz, but they're there for a period of time, and then they just pop up and they're gone, and it's you know replaced by another one eventually. Well, we have that Joe's Cafe, an art gallery, who's they're doing quite a bit of jazz. It's all jazz. They started off with you know rock and other things, but it's all jazz, and it's an excellent place to play. So there are a lot of places, the art museum, etc. There, there's jazz all over. And we want to announce that there are plenty of jazz musicians here. 
I mean, this is a mecca of musicians. And sometimes they're they're in and out of St. Louis, you know, here for a while, gone somewhere on the road back in. But plenty of young musicians as well as uh, very talented musicians here. We're proud of what what's growing here in St. Louis. Well, and, you know, we should talk a little bit because, I, I mean, I'm, you know, Chicago, two hours, you can fly right to New York. St. Louis, pretty much the same thing. You can fly to New York, especially these days. Everything is so connected online and all that. I mean, it's one thing to have a scene happening. And I think it's important to have a scene happening in a city so that the young people can come up and they can learn under the elder statesmen and everything. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about your background, because obviously you guys are twins. You guys came up together. But your your father was a like a really well-known uh, musician as well, right? And he used to That's play right. in, in as, uh, a lot of different groups, Earl Father Hines being one of them, and sitting in with Duke Ellington. And did I read this right? Uh, John Coltrane was a was a, a student of his, possibly? Yes, one of his students. <laughs> I had, you know, many students, and I'm sure John Coltrane had many teachers, too, Oliver like, Nelson. like all of us. Oliver Nelson and uh, um, shoot, uh, Hamiet Blewett. From the World Saxophone Quartet. Wow. And and you name them. How did you guys how, how did you guys like start playing? Was there pressure on you guys to start playing because your no. father, or did you just pick it up and just say, hey man, this is kind of what I want to do? No, we were inspired by him because he would uh at the time we were coming up, he had retired from being on the road. And so he would practice at, at home though, and he'd play with the uh, a Gateway Symphony Orchestra, which was an, uh, an orchestra through Washington University as well. And and we just uh, enjoy what he was doing. And so we asked him to play, to teach us to play at age 10. And he said, yeah, I want you to take a day and think about what you're really asking. Because <laughs> if you, I want you to know if you start, I'm not going to let you stop. <laughs> and he was serious about that. <laughs> So you obviously uh, you obviously thought about it for two seconds and you guys but you guys both picked the same instrument right I mean is that no we started off I started off with John Dwayne started off on flute and Dwight started on clarinet okay the clarinet but... was my principal instrument in college and um, I think I finished my senior so my senior recital and into my sophomore year and what do you do with a clarinet you know I mean unless you're going to play with a symphony or or something you know and those guys die on those gigs they you know they play forever <laughs> that was still where to go with it it's, it's exactly you know i went to i went to north texas and i was on a percussion scholarship so you know i learned jazz drums and all that but of course i played mm -hmm. formal at marimba and all that and i just could never see myself getting into the symphonic realm because it's like to your point these guys have the job forever, man. I'm not going to be on a waiting list and, you know, hanging out, watching the, watching the uh, listings in the funeral parlors, you know, waiting to see. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they literally almost die on the job. You know? Yeah. It's like, man, what am I, I mean, they're great people. Don't get me wrong, but you know, mm -hmm. so, so you guys did that, but when you came back, how did you decide to start playing saxophone? I mean, obviously with clarinet, with flute, you know, it, it, it's in the woodwind, you know, family. But I mean, how did you both start playing saxophone? Let me explain. We we branched off into the other instruments as we were at Florida A&M University on a music scholarship. So mm -hmm. you can't come in and just play one instrument. You have your principal instrument. My my principal is flute and Dwight's principal is clarinet. But we had to branch off to saxophones and the other various instruments. In addition to that, uh, guys say, man, I, I need a sax player. 
I don't need a clarinet player. If you play sax, I've got a gig for you. <laughs> if you're going to play that clarinet, I don't need you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, although it comes in handies in 1920s uh, gigs and things like that, the clarinets. Yeah, always- you, you, that was very important then. And more so like in Dixie and, uh, you know, those types of music, which all of them are very important. And so, so we're with our emphasis is on jazz, but yet we're musicians and you have to be able to play um, many different styles of music in order to survive and maintain. And the influence help you, you know, when you're with your creativity. Well, you know, and, and you guys, because I'm curious about it, I'm always curious, especially you guys growing up together, playing together. Um, you, you must have incredible ears, I would imagine. So when you play together, I mean, you're harmonizing because I've listened to a, a lot of things. I mean, is it just natural? Can you guys just play together just differently than if you're playing with somebody, Dwight, or you're playing with somebody, Dwayne? I mean, when you guys play together, is it just kind of osmosis? You know what's happening and you can just- Yeah, somewhat innate. Somewhat innate. Even when we, if we make a mistake, sometimes we'll make the same mistake at the same time. <laughs> so, you know, uh, that's kind of really- how did that happen? You know, but <laughs> I remember in college uh, when we were in the marching band and uh, in rehearsals, uh, you know, we would make a mistake, the same mistake at the same time going in a different direction, direction and, and the band would fall out, you know, laughing at us because, <laughs> you know, how do you do that? I mean, and I don't know how we did it, but it, it just happens like that. But our playing together, since we're out of the same moon, but we're different we're alike like apples and oranges like fruit but we're different like uh, apples and oranges so we play well together uh and it's kind of um because we're out of the same bag but um we still play differently and that's a good thing because that's contrast if we both played the same or played so much alike then it would be monotonous you know so we have we complement each other that's the great thing about it well, and and I and I also find it interesting because you guys are still like playing together after all these years, and you haven't gotten tired of each other. Because I have a brother, not a twin, but mm-hmm. I don't think I would want to be playing in a band with him for a long period of time without wanting to get into a fight with him after a while. So, Mike, you- let me let me explain something. <laughs> I promised my mother. You said, you said, you know, don't fire him. You know, that's your brother. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's good to have both of you on the interview i suppose but actually mike it's it's, it's really an honor and a pleasure to play with my uh, brother because we have something special unique and that's innate and it's a privilege man you know oh yeah yeah well you know and i i find it interesting too because you guys both became band directors right i mean you guys were both educators coming up too as as well right, right. yes yeah. so, so how did it's just interesting isn't it how you guys went to the you went to the same university and they came back and you guys were both band directors and you guys are both playing jazz and you guys are both playing together um was it a conscious decision did you guys both want to be educators as well because i know a lot of musicians especially guys that are in music school that after they're there one might want to be an educator the other wants to just play and maybe do some private lessons but not run a band program but you guys seem to have wanted to do that it's kind of ingrained in your systems well one thing at age 10 when we started we knew immediately that we wanted to be a professional musician so that was and we never wavered from that 
Yeah. Uh, if you look at our high school uh, uh, yearbook and see the picture, it'll say, uh, you know, our goals were professional musicians. And, and we were gigging then. So we've been gigging since age 14. Uh, our dad uh, steered us into what we were majoring in music, but not in performance. He steered us into music education. He said, you may never know when you may want to teach or when you may need to teach or sub, you know, teaching so yeah. that you can survive. And, and, and also, you know, we enjoy teaching once I started. Uh, I really loved teaching. So that was a different thing. The hardest part of teaching for me was the staying still when we had been, you know, we didn't start, I didn't start teaching until 10 years after I'd graduated from college. Oh, so, wow. So, I mean, then to go in the classroom was very confining. Yeah. Uh, so it took discipline for me to be able to do that. But after, after I did it, I, I taught for 30, often on 32 years. So that's a lot. That's, so I enjoyed it. You know, it's real fun. Had some fantastic students along the way. Well, and I, I think also, I mean, you guys, you know, as jazz musicians and very accomplished jazz musicians, you want to give back. You want to keep the music moving forward and you want to show the young musicians and you can tell the young musicians that really want to do it. And you, you want to make sure that they're doing it the right way and they're learning the right stuff and they're moving it forward and everything. So I think that has a big, um, big impact on a lot of musicians, but also being able to go and then see their you know, their, their instructors performing professionally in a club. I mean, talk a little bit about that because when you guys were coming up, you were watching your father play and he was probably sitting in and doing things around St. Louis at that point, playing professionally, but not traveling to be able to talk to somebody and then actually go see them do stuff like professionally in a club that just changes the whole ball game. I think from a, from a standpoint of instructor to student, isn't it? It is. Um, in fact, we had quite good influences from that because several of the of our band teachers that helped teach us and helped form us along with what our father taught us. Um, it was quite inspiring. Not only did they teach, but they also conducted other bands. So to watch them doing conducting and also personally, but sometimes they would take us to the gig or we'd come out and see them. And, uh, you know, they're in another element yeah. from what you see in the classroom. And so that's important. But yet it influences you and guides you. It keeps you on track of where you should be and what to look for and what to expect. Mike, we held down a, a gig in the place called the Moose Lounge in North St. Louis for 17 and a half years. And from that gig, it was, it was in the neighborhood, but from that gig, we also booked our first European tour a gig, a Soho Jazz Festival in uh, London. And so... Um, we had people coming from all over the world coming into Moose Lounge. Some, some people coming from Spain, uh, of course, uh, England, London, um, even from Russia uh, coming in there. So the universities would bring people in from Washington University, St. Louis University, uh, Font Bonn University, um, uh, the University of Missouri. So a lot of the music professors uh, would bring it. And the Moose was at that time the longest running jazz club in St. Louis. So um, that way, a lot of our students could see us there, see us on TV when we were promoting different things uh, and that kind of stuff. And we also were allowed to, as when we were teaching, to leave and do some European tours, things like that early on. It got to be more difficult later on, but uh, early on, we were able to do those kinds of things too. 
you know, get a leave of absence, just go do that and come back. Yeah. And teach. But at the club that we played, Dwight mentioned that um, the Moose Lounge, which was at the time, like he said, was the longest running jazz club at that particular time. And we had all kinds of musicians coming through to sit in and play and perform. And we're high there. You had people like Matt Adderley, Kenny G, uh, Richard Groove Holmes, Houston Person, uh, Etta Jones, not Etta James, the, the jazz singer, Etta Jones. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we got a chance to know some of them. Uh, uh, what is it? You know, it was so many that would come through. Yeah. They hired some of them to play and others would, as, if they stopped through, if they had another gig somewhere, they'd stop in and see us, you know, and maybe sit in or just lay back, you know. Well, and then Chicago, we'll even go see that, see them when we finish our game. Even Chicago and uh, Charles Irwin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Charles Burnin' Irwin, man. He was a, he was, but, but, you know, when you have a steady like that and something like that, and of course, you know, well-known musicians like yourselves and, and, yeah, it's just like in Chicago, you know, you've got the guys that are holding down Ford over at the Green Mill, and then they go out on tour for a little while, and then they come mm-hmm. back. I'm sure you guys were doing the exact same thing. I know you guys toured with some heavy-duty people as well in all different genres of music, but then to come back to home base, you know, it, it was almost like the best of both worlds, wasn't it? Because you got to you got to play all the time, but then you got to meet everybody, and you knew everybody, and if you were on tour and you popped in, you always knew somebody in a city, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's the way it was at, at that yeah. time. Things are a little different now. You you have sit-ins, but you don't have the same kind of thing as sit-ins, and we're doing more show sets. But it's it's always good to communicate with the youth, and some of them are very, very talented. And so uh, it's important that we make those connections with all kinds of people. Yeah, I, I think that uh, playing at the, um, over at the Winters, Winters Jazz Club, the musicians that we have playing with us there, you know, they play with everybody and they have their own groups as well. All three of them, Marlene, uh, Heath and Kevin Ford, uh, all of them are are top notch artists and they play with everybody. Plus they have their own group. So it's it's really a super pleasure to perform with them. Oh yeah. Well, I was going to bring that up because I, and now to think about that, they're playing with the Bosman twins. <laughs> and we get a chance to do a variety of kinds of music. That's the thing I really love about it. You know, if we want to get into a, de- uh, a, a low down, uh, more gut bucket type of blues, we can do that. But if we want to do a more sophisticated blues, like uh, blues and abstract, something from uh, uh, Oliver Nelson, we can do that. Yep. But then we also get a chance to do original music from the Bossman Twins as well. You know, um, things that Dwayne has written and things I've written those kinds of things. So those, you know, that's, that's really inspirational to be able to do that as well. Well, you know, that, and that's the nice thing, right? Because Chicago's here and it has such a wealth of talent that you guys can come up and do the gig up here and you can have a group from Chicago, which obviously helps budget wise for Scott and everything else and have you guys there. I mean, Charles Heath, you know, Ramsey Lewis's drummer for years and, and mm-hmm. Arlene Rosenberg. I just had her on the show. She's a good friend of mine, just like Charles is. Joe Henderson and everybody else. There's a big history. And Kevin Forch is an up-and-coming musician at Northwestern. I mean, you guys are going to have a killing band over there at Winters on February 18th. Of course, 7.30 p.m., 9.30 p.m. sets, 465 North McClurg Court right there in Chicago. And as I always say, Scott does not run the valet, but there is a valet now, so we can all cheer about that. So Scott's got valet there now, so it makes it even easier 
to get in and out of the place. I always like to tell everybody about the parking situation. So we can't give them any excuse not to show up. See, that's that that's the key to the whole situation. That's that's a very important. <laughs> you know, you know all about that. So, you know, you guys are coming up here and you've got original tunes and stuff. Let's talk about it. What's the last release you guys put out? Is it the 2015 release? Yeah, so it's been seven years. So we're looking forward to recording th- this year as well. Oh, so we've written some things and we're ready to go. Uh, so when you guys are, I, I'm always curious, but because I was going to bring this up too, the compositions, you know, standpoint, you know, somebody writes a tune. Do you guys write together because you play together, you harmonize together, you do everything. Do you guys actually write some of the originals together or is it one? Only of you- a couple of tunes, only yeah. a couple of tunes. <laughs> well, we just do it individually, but we're looking forward to writing together as uh, more often too. Plus we're doing collaborations with some other artists fantastic artists as well do you guys have a steady group down in st louis that you play with and would record with or is it kind of like up here in chicago where you know an artist is going into the mill or or winters or something like that and they can get you know people they're familiar playing with but it's not the steady kind of thing that you're playing with the same group all the time right well Mm -hmm. we don't play here steadily we we play more out of town yeah. So, but we do use various different musicians, and that's a pleasure too. It's pretty much like in Chicago; everybody does their own thing, and then they play with each other, and and that keeps you working viable. And it's it's good to play with other artists and have them play with you as well, because if you only play with the exact same people all the time, then you won't don't get a chance to venture out as much, so far as expression, because you get locked in with what you do already. Well, additionally, additionally, these musicians are all working as well, so you can't always have the same guys anyway. So it's good to uh, have transitions like that. So. Oh yeah, no, no, totally. And and I, you know, with the original compositions, you guys might play it one way down in St. Louis, and then you come up here and you play with Marlene, Charles, and Kevin, and it might be a little bit different twist, which mm. opens your ears a little bit, which allows you to play and solo over things a little bit differently too. So it's got to be pretty exciting to be able to do that kind of a thing. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. But you know what, playing in Chicago, there are a lot of similarities to St. Louis because the, the, it's the Midwest culture. Mm-hmm. And see, in, in the Midwest, we, we play jazz, but yet we have a lot of heavy influence of, influence of, jazz, of blues and mm-hmm. gospel mixed into our jazz. So our culture is a little bit different. It's diff- completely different from the New York way and the, LA, the West Coast way. But this is Midwest. And and out of this way, you know, more blues. If you look at Charlie Parker out of Kansas City, all of them, all those musicians, they still, even Miles Davis, there's still a lot of heavy concentration of blues in their music. Now, it might be more progressive blues, but yet it's still instilled in the music. Yeah. And, and Chicago is heavy like that with jazz and blues is deep in Chicago, too. And St. Louis is the same way. If you look at the transition uh, historically, the how music, how jazz got to St. Louis, you know, I mean, we look at when it was coming from New Orleans and when it was coming up, it went to Chicago and St. Louis was the next place. And then it was Kansas City and then on to Oklahoma and so forth to moving toward the West Coast. So, you know, uh, we don't try to sound uh, New Yorkish. Yeah. We don't try to sound, you know, L.A., it's the Midwest, you know, gateway to the West. This is Chicago-St. Louis combination, very close, I think, influences. 
And mm -hmm. so, I mean, you know, it can deviate, but that's, but it's easier for us to get together and play, I think. Do you guys we ever, uh, well, you know, and, and Chicago is known as a, you know, a tenor, a tenor town, right? I mean, you know, with the, with, the, with Von um, Freeman coming mm -hmm. out of Chicago and, and uh, you know, so many other ones. Did you guys ever come up and, and meet Von? I mean, did you guys hang up here in Chicago? And no, I didn't hang like that. I met him before, but, um, you know, of course, they're well, well known, the Freemans, uh, yeah. you know, so, I mean, they're institutional, but, what I what I like is alto. Wayne plays tenor, so um, and he also plays alto. But I play alto, and then I play the baritone sax. And you're not hearing that baritone in there a lot of times, so um, that's important. So I I just love what the Bosman twins style. The Bosman twins. But well, we're right. looking forward to meeting Von Freeman and uh, many other musicians because most of the time when we come in, we come in perform. We stay out a couple few days, and then we're gone. So we're going to attempt to make some trips to where we, when we're not working or after we're finished, we can get out and meet some of the different artists and see what else is going on in Chicago, because we yeah. know it has a lot to offer. Well, it does, but it's such a great connection between St. Louis and Chicago. And, you know, I agree with you because the New York vibe is a different vibe, different feel, different kind of on top of the beat kind of thing happening as opposed to Chicago, Midwest, really hard swinging, both, both towns. And, um, you know, I think people are going to be just blown away. If you have not seen the Bossman Twins, this is your chance. February 18th, Winters Jazz Club, 465 North McClurg. Of course, wintersjazzclub.com. As I always say for Scott over there at Winters, make sure you buy your tickets in advance because they sell out because they are going to be happening over there on a Saturday night. Guys, I appreciate all this, this great conversation we had here. And I'm going to try to get over there on the 18th and actually meet you in person, which would be awesome. Yeah, and we look forward to meeting you, Mike. It's our pleasure. We look forward to it. Absolutely. And I encourage everybody to go check this whole thing out. So, guys, thanks for jumping on for a few minutes today. And uh, I'm glad this is uh, 2023. It's going to be a big year. No more pandemic. We're back in business over here. So hopefully we see you up here in Chicago many times throughout this year. Okay, thank it's, you. Well, all we have to say is on and popping. <laughs> all right, and I want to tell everybody to head on over to Bossman, thebossmantwins.com. I'll link everything up below so you can get their recordings. You can find out more about them and where they're going to be playing outside of Chicago or when they're coming back to Chicago. Of course, thanks, everybody, for watching. As I always say, everything Chicago Jazz is on chicagojazz.com. And until next time, hopefully I will see you all somewhere out on the scene.